Live from the hills of Judea is the Land of Israel Fellowship with Rabbis Ari Abramowitz and Jeremy Gimpel. Shalom, shalom. It's good to see all of you. Hi. Oh, it's just so good to see your faces. I feel like this fellowship is becoming less and less about uh, needing to have all the content here and more just about being together and seeing each other and strengthening each other. These days are uh, are intense. For me personally, the, I'm still trying to figure out the difference between day and night. On Shabbat, I was up uh, from 1.30 a.m. until 7.30 a.m. Uh, patrolling and guarding and then going to sleep and waking up and where am I and who am I? And these are very intense times. So it's just good to see all of you. Uh, this week has been a lot. It's been a lot. Uh, there's been a journey that I see that the world is going through and a journey that the nation of Israel is going through, a journey that uh, my family's been going, a journey that I've been going through myself. And, uh, and you know, of course, in my, in my heart, I can't believe that we are still in this position. I can't believe that we're here on this fellowship and it's been a week since the last one, and I, I, I'm not telling you. You remember that organization that existed once, Hamas? They, they, well, they're there in the past. There should be a museum. They're still here. It's embarrassing to me. It's embarrassing to me that Hamas still exists. I'm embarrassed. Hamas should be wiped off the map by now. And it's making the Israeli government look fickle and look weak. And I think that's okay, because... The Israeli government is fickle and weak, and that's not said out of anger or hatred, not at all. You know, they have a massive, massive decision to make with unimaginable consequences, which have implications not only for Israel, but for the entire world. But at a certain point, you stop with the strategy, right? At a certain point, you just act from a place of truth, of righteous indignation, of, of fury, of, of wrath. And and uh, what we're seeing here is Benjamin Netanyahu as the first king of Israel. Who was the first king of Israel? Saul, right? And when Saul faced Amalek, this the pure, raw, unadulterated evil that was Amalek, despite what he knew in his heart, that he should wipe out every single one of them like he was commanded to do by the prophet Samuel, by God. Instead, he listened to all the chatter in his ear, to the voices of his men and his advisors that gave him very reasonable and, you know, strategically valid reasons why he should reconsider doing that right now. And he listened to them. Not to, not to Hashem, not to the voice in his heart, but he listened to them and he didn't take responsibility for it. And uh, just as Shaul gave way to King David, to Mashiach, I believe with all my heart, and I'm eagerly anticipating that our own King David is coming. A descendant of King David is coming. There will be a leader that will soon arise in Israel that will have the pure faith in Hashem and the love for the nation of Israel, the love really for the entire world to understand that this evil is not just here in the Middle East. It's not just here in Gaza. This evil we're seeing on the news, we're seeing constantly is spreading to all of humanity. And a leader that will rise to the occasion and will act in faith and truth and not consider what the world is, is harping about in their disgusting, heartless, evil hypocrisy. Of all, how many more headlines can you see that say 1,400 Jews died, 1,600 Palestinians, as if to equate the 1,600 terrorists that murdered 
and ripped open the stomachs of pregnant women and burned them alive in the most horrific ways imaginable. And you're just going to equate the two. That is just evil. That's evil. And so King David tells us, he tells us, Mashpil ge'im shafalim, that Hashem humbles the haughty, right? And then he raises up the humble. And if we're going to be honest about it, the nation of Israel, I believe we were haughty. I'll speak for myself. I really did have an inflated ego regarding our brains and our intelligence and our technology and our IDF. And we have been humbled and I've been humbled. And those illusions are shattered. And now that we've been so embarrassed and humiliated and terrorized and heart shattered and heartbroken, and the whole world seems to be looking at us salivating, wanting more, more dead Jews. Now that we've seen that and we've been brought so low, this is exactly where we need to be for the next move. Because Hamas sees us as stalling and deliberating, and they really think that they're winning. They don't realize how eager every soldier is to unleash the fury of God on them. Jeremy keeps saying to me all day, he's saying to me, I'm just so afraid that this war is going to end. I'm afraid that this, that's a feeling so much of us have, that this war is going to, he's of course not saying that he wants war. But he's saying that this war will end without us wiping Hamas off the map, without us destroying and eradicating evil. They don't realize, Hamas doesn't realize that God is letting them get more and more haughty and more and more arrogant and more and more bloodthirsty just to raise up his children and sanctify his name along with them. Atem Edai, we're Hashem's children. We're his witnesses. And he is going to raise us up and humble those who are haughty right now. Hamas and Hezbollah and Iran and Syria and so much of the left around the world that is just salivating in hatred, in absolute hatred. They're not covering, they're not playing the game anymore. Oh, it's the Zionists. No, no, no. Gas the Jews. Gas the Jews throughout the streets of the world. And that's what we're hearing right after the horrific, uh, the hor horrific acts that we just saw Hamas commit. Anyways, I don't know the workings of Hashem. But if I had to guess, why do we have? Why are we still here right now with a relatively quiet week? It's to give the entire world, all of us, everybody in this world, an opportunity with full and unbridled free will to show their true colors. And they are, right? We're seeing it. America, Europe, Africa, throughout the world, we see pro-Hamas rallies. And there's never been such a clear display of pure, unadulterated evil for all those that are marching in the street to defend them, they're making their own beds. They're casting their lot with Amalek. They're casting their lot with absolute evil. But there's also a reason, I think, for us here in Israel that we have this period of time that is so uncomfortable and so painful. And we're, for me, I, every day, every moment, I'm just, I have a free thought. It's about these little children, these innocent women and children that are kidnapped in Gaza, experiencing horrors that we cannot even possibly imagine. And so why are we, why is this still happening? Why is this period? And so if I had to guess my intuition, I feel like for us here in Israel, there's a consolidation of our spiritual emotions. It's coming together. And I think I just saw a, a funeral, one of the many, the hundreds of thousands of funerals that we're seeing here in Israel. And I want to show you a short piece of the eulogy of this father burying his sweet, precious son, who is a soldier in the army of Israel. 
אם לא אמרתי לך את זה, אני אומר את זה פה בקול רם, אני אוהב אותך, אהבת אמת, אהבת נפש, אתה ילד מתוק, מתוק שנלקק אותו, אין דברים כאלה בעולם, אין, אין, לא היה כזה דבר, הקרבת מה שנקרא את עצמך למען החברים, למען אזרחים בקיבוץ ברי, שמה חטאם היה? שהם קמו בבוקר ביום שמחת תורה? והתעוררו לתוך השואה הזו, לתוך התופת. אז שמת את עצמך בפרונט, אני שומע את הסיפורים. אני שומע את הסיפורים. שמת את עצמך מקדימה. אף אחד לא היה צריך להגיד לך את זה, אתה עושה את זה לבד על אוטומט. אריאל שלי, נוח על משכבך בשלום. אהבה, 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 אהבה מכל הלב. אנשים יקרים, כדאי שאנחנו נתעורר. נתעורר. נפסיק עם השנאה בינינו. נפסיק, נפסיק. זה המורשת שאנחנו נותנים לילדים שלנו. נפסיק, כולם צודקים, אין בעיה, כולנו צודקים. שימו את זה בצד. למה במקום כזה כולם מתגייסים פתאום? כולם עכשיו מתעוררים. למה? אין, השנאת חינם הזו הורגת אותנו. הורגת אותנו. הורגת אותנו. אני אומר לכם את זה, הורגת אותנו. אני מקווה שהאסון הכבד שפקד אותנו, ועוד אלפי משפחות בעם ישראל, מספרים שלא נתפסים, שהאסון הזה יהיה האסון האחרון. הם מתוך האסון הזה נצמח. נשמח כעם מאוחד, כעם שמסתכל ורואה את האנשים שלו, שיש לו חמלה, שיש לו אמפתיה. זה המנהיגות שאנחנו רוצים. שלא יושבת ומדברת, אלא עושה, 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 עושה. פחות דיבורים, יותר מעשים. יותר מעשים. פחות, פחות, פחות דיבורים. אז אריאל היקר, אני נפרד ממך פה. אני נפרד, ישבתי היום, ניסיתי לכתוב את הדברים, אני, מי שמכיר אותי, אני בחיים לא כותב. אמרתי, שחרר, עזוב את זה, זה לא צריך את זה. אוהב אותך בכל ליבי, בכל ליבי, בכל ליבי, בן יקר ואהוב. תנוח נשמתך, תנוח, תנוח נשמתך, ברוך אתה. That is the nation of Israel. That's the nation of Israel. That's what we're going through right now. He says, let's put it, we're all right, we're all wrong, we're all right, it doesn't matter. Hashem wants us to love each other. He wants us to be so humbled to the ground that we look at each other and we say, how could we have been so caught up? The Supreme Court and not the Supreme Court. I'm not trying to minimize these issues they were real and they still are real but it shouldn't ever get in the way of us all loving each other and that's what's starting to happen we're seeing it thousands of ultra orthodox jews are joining the army joining up this army that they said never would we join the secular army and now they're all signing up and joining the army to fight and to die be willing to die you know secular jews are coming out in mass showing so so much love and support for their fellow jews from every you know i i don't know if you, we showed you the video but there was all like tens or hundreds of of non-kosher restaurants in tel aviv that were making their kitchens kosher just so they can make food for all the religious soldiers as well these are restaurants that are secular and open on shabbat and totally and now they're it's bringing us together in such a in such a special way in such a unique way And uh, and for me, you know, in the fellowship, we always talk about constantly massaging in, infusing into our hearts the emunah. I was talking to Rav Yom Tov Glazer. He called me and uh, and he said that he said so many people, so many of his friends, there was some sort of conference in one of the hotels that was happening when this whole thing broke out over Simchat Torah. And these people are like studying about emunah and faith and teaching about emunah. And the minute this happened, they were just looking for any flight to get out, connecting to Tur- through Turkey or Greece and getting stuck in all these countries. And he said, he said, I was just looking at them and he's like, they're emunah heavy. They're emunah top heavy, top heavy with faith. What does that mean, top-heavy with faith? You can have a lot of faith in your head, but have you in, in integrated it into your soul, into where it's trust? 
and to where it actually is a part is infused within you and it 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 um it decreases the fear and the anxiety and the cortisol in your bloodstream and it allows you to act with strength and with courage that is emuna that's infused otherwise it's just an intellectual pursuit of knowing that god runs the world but is it really a part of you have it has it really come into you and so this is a time where us in the land of israel for me personally it's becoming more and more and more a part of me. I still have these waves. I have a wave come over me of fear or anxiety. I still have waves come over me where I just break down in tears. I was speaking to, I'm not going to say his name because some of you may know him, but he's like a warrior of Israel. He's a warrior, this guy. He was built to fight and to, and I told him that I've been, that I had to, that I've been beating myself up a little bit because of these moments, these waves of fear that I've been having. And he said that that fear is a good thing and it's okay as long as we overcome it. You know, I remember my grandfather's twin brother was a bombardier in World War II. And he said the bravest man that he knew was the guy that went up with him on every mission, volunteered for all the missions that he volunteered for, but he soiled himself on every single mission. He said that's the bravest man, right? Because he felt the fear and he had overcame it. And that's courage. Courage is not necessarily not feeling fear. It's overcoming the fear because we have faith because we have trust in Hashem. And so that's been happening within me. And I also see in, in uh, you know, Arab countries, it's very interesting to see what's happening in Arab countries. I think they're feeling very conflicted and very torn. And while most of them are not outrightly standing with Israel, there are those who, who are speaking the truth. Because listen, there, there's the Sunnis and the Shiites, there's Saudi Arabia and there's Iran. And Iran is concerned about the growing strength of, I'm sorry, Saudi is uh, can, very concerned about about uh, Iran. Anyways, I want to show you this video um, that was sent to me uh, that, that I found to be very powerful because people have said to me, you know, I, I was, I used to always sort of see the the Arabs around us, these terrorists and be like, they're the children of Ishmael and we're going to have tshuva, they're going to have tshuva in the end, we're going to come together. And one of my rabbis said, really? He said, you think that they're the children of Ishmael? He's like, I'm shocked to hear that. I never even thought that. I was like, really? So who do you think they are? And he said, I think they're just like scattered, random Philistine pagans. They're not, these are not the children of Ishmael. And, and I, I think I, I want to play for you this video so you can hear who I, what that, you should, you could see that distinction. You could hear directly from one of the children of Ishmael. <laughs> يوم ريغان يطلب منه تمويل زوار الكونترا قال له واحدة بوحدة أبي دولة الفلسطين قال له أبشر ووقع الخطاب دولة الفلسطين وعلم الملك فهد عرفات أنه حصلنا دولة فلسطينية هرب عرفات ما شافوه إلا بعد عشر سنين من هالكلام هذا هرب ما يبي دولة فلسطينية كلكم ما تبون دولة فلسطينية لأن أساسا ما لكم قضية ولا لكم دولة ولا لكم أرض هذه أرض إسرائيل بالقراء وأنتم شتات رومان ملفقين مغول وتركمان وشركس وأرمن وغجر ما لكم حق بفلسطين فلسطين هذه دولة إسرائيلية لبني إسرائيل وبني إسرائيل لمعلوميتكم بني إسرائيل هذولا عيال إسحاق وحنا يا العرب عيال إسماعيل وإسحاق وإسماعيل أخوين أبوهم إبراهيم عليه السلام يعني هذولا عيال عمنا لكن أنتم منين جيتوا أنتم اشتخلكم بالموضوع أنتم يا الشتات يا الغجر يا المغول يا التركمان يا الشركس يا الرومان يا 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 بقايا الشعوب ايش دخلكم بالموضوع ايش دخلكم بالسالفه ايش دخلكم بيننا هذا بني اسرائيل على ارضهم 
ما لكم ارض انتم ولا لكم قضيه يا جماعه انتم ادوختونا واشغلتونا ولا اقصى الاقصى لمعلوميتك ما عندكم اقصى ما في شيء اسمه اقصى في شيء اسمه القدس المسجد الاقصى اللي ورد ذكره هو بالجعرانه 29 كيلو على الطائف وكان المسجدين المقصد المسجد الاقصى والمسجد الادنى المسجد الاقصى حقكم بناه الشام عام 72 هجري كيف يسرى محمد له وهو مبني عام 72 للهجره يعني بعد وفاه محمد ب 60 سنه تضحكون على مين انتم تضحكون على مين الفلسطيني انت من عربي ولا لك ارض ولا لك قضيه الارض ارض اسرائيل والقضيه قضيه اسرائيل معكم كان اسحاق شامير ورابين وشارون وجولدا ماير والثاني والله ما ادري اسمه هذول كانوا ابطال تدري ولا لا؟ لكن نتنياهو جبان لان نتنياهو ما حرقكم ما ادري وش يبي بالاسلحه مكدسها عنده يا ادمي يا نتنياهو احرق هالعصابات هذه وهالشتات وهالملفقين وريح نفسك وريح العالم منهم وريحنا احنا منهم ليش مخليهم؟ ليش فتح لهم الحدود يهاجرون؟ نراحوا للاردن سووا ايلول الاسود، ونراحوا للكويت انهبوه يوم صدام احتله، انهبوا يلبسون لبس الجيش العراقي وينهبون. الخسه والنذاله والحقاره ما يتركونها، هذه تربيتهم وهذا دمهم وهذا عرقهم. ليش ما تريح العالم منهم يا نتنياهو اذا انت رجال وبطل؟ ها؟ الله يلعنكم ويلعن حتى نتنياهو اللي ما خلصنا منكم. لان نتنياهو تارك لكم الحبل على الغارب. والمفروض نتنياهو هو اللي يأدبكم وهو اللي يخلص العالم من شروركم أنتم شر في أي دولة تحطون فيها يا الفلسطينيين شر منزل ولا بكم رجل أنا مستعد أنام عند يهودي ولا أنام عند فلسطيني أنا مستعد أقلط يهودي في بيتي وغديه ووكله وشربه ورقده ولا أدخل فلسطيني في بيتي والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله جيرمي سينيرد سينيرد يشير ميدتورد يشير ميدتورد يشير ميدتورد يشير ميدتورد يشير ميدتورد You see that, Jeremy? They're saying, no, 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 that, that was an important thing for them to see because because th- this there is a line being drawn in the sand right now and it's between good and evil and the old boxes of Jew and Christian and Muslim and, and no, it's not about that. It's about the very basic intuition. There was a question asked, I was reading in this last week in the, in the Torah portion of Noah, how could the world have been expected to... Be good if the Torah wasn't given yet. The land was filled with Hamas, right? It was filled with with murder and rape and all these horrible things. How could they be expected? They weren't told not to. And the answer is that that's something you should just know intuitively. You don't need to be told that decapitating a baby and burning and raping and torturing is bad. That's just something you know. And the world is being divided in that way right now. And... um. And I'll tell you, I have these conversations with other soldiers, religious, not religious, about whether this is it. This is the end of days. This is the war of Gogu Magog. And to me, it's like shocking that anyone could think not. It's so obviously and clearly this is that war. Can I see hands? Who thinks that this is it? Who thinks like definitively in their hearts? I, I just want to hold your hands up. Okay. Not everybody, but most of you, but some of you not. That's interesting. I would like to hear more about that from you. But anyways, uh, to me, it's just so very clear. When I look at the description of how this would look, Jeremy was uh, over Shabbat. You know, my family was not with with me. I'm not going, going to go into all the details. 
but I was, I stayed back and I was guarding Jeremy's family with, uh, anyways, not going to go into details, but Jeremy opened up on Kiddush, the book, uh, the Tanakh, and we were reading through the prophecies in Ezekiel. And to me, it's just like so overwhelmingly clear. And so we need to hold, hold tight and have faith and just know, I really hope and pray. I believe, and I hope, and I pray all of those things that the bloodshed of the nation of Israel, the vast majority of it has happened already. And now the suffering we're going to endure is more and more and more fear. The fear is going to grow and grow and grow as the situation looks worse and worse and worse and worse until it looks absolutely hopeless. And then we will turn our hearts to Hashem like you see us already starting to do every day more and more. And that great redemption will come. I know it. I feel it in my heart. Anyways, I'm going to turn it over to Jeremy right now. And uh, Jeremy, we want to hear from you what's going on with you. Hey, everybody. Great to see you. I love to see you. Times are just absolutely crazy now. And this fellowship provides a space of sanity, a space of love, of connection, of friendship. It is so good to be together and to gather together, to learn together. Um, I, you know, we're experiencing a flood you know, in Parashat Noah, that's what it feels like. And it's interesting that God created the world and then he needed to do a redo. It's like flood, new world. And then we see the same thing happen. It's like first there was Saul. It's like mm, redo. Then there had to be King David. And even the prophecies of Gogu Magog that Ari is convinced that we are now, it's sort of like what, he, what Ari is saying is that he feels like the first dominoes have fallen and that what we're going to see over the next few months is going to be something global and something very big that the world will be totally different afterwards. That's what Ari's talking about. And I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Um, but the prophecy is quite unbelievable. First, the prophecy Bichlal, at all, that the Jewish people would return to the land of Israel and we would rebuild this commonwealth and we would like sit in our land, Lavetach. we would be relatively secure We'd be relatively prosperous. And then after a significant amount of time of living in the land, all of a sudden, a global war breaks out and we are the playing field of this global war between these superpowers. And so what we know now of Israel, it feels the flood is coming and whatever comes up at the end of this will be a new beginning. It will be something that we haven't seen yet. And you know, I think it's really important for us to really internalize why is this war so important? Why is it? I mean, the Russia and Ukraine, that war is still happening. They're not making any headlines anymore. All of a sudden, a much smaller territory, much smaller armies, many less people are being killed. And the entire world is like, what's happening in Israel? What's happening in Israel? Everyone has these passionate opinions marching in the streets. I mean, there was wars in Syria that hundreds of thousands were killed and there were no marching in the streets of London. Just the other day, 100,000 people were marching for Gaza in London. And you're like, wondering, like, what is going on? Really logically, why is this war so important? And the answer is that every single person's identity is tied up with the fate of Israel. Every single Catholic, every single Christian, every single replacement theologian, every lover of Israel, every Jew, every atheist, 
Everyone is looking towards Israel because what happens in Israel ultimately will be the fate of the world. Everyone's identity. How do I understand the Bible? How do I understand God? How do I understand the Jewish people? How do I understand good and evil? Everything, all of it, the fate of the world rests in the fate of Israel. And so everyone has their opinions, everyone's identity. If you're a Muslim and you have a jihadist perspective, you have stake, you have skin in the game, but so do the atheist nihilists. I mean, imagine this um, kind of team. We have the LGBTQ activist, left woke academic people siding with the alt-right Ku Klux Klan people, siding with jihadist Muslims, all three of them have come together to march against Israel. And you're like, how did those three groups possibly come together? How did that happen? Because all of their identities are interwoven within this conflict, and it will be an identity crisis for many by the time this war is over. And so what I wanted to say is there's a lot to learn. And we have to now, more than ever, look to the Torah as a living word, a word of guidance that's speaking to us now. And so I don't know if you guys had a chance to watch Tehillah's last video on Parashat Noah. Oh, I see a lot of heads going, yes, yes, yes. I think it has like 5,000 views only on YouTube, never mind all the other platforms, in like a day. It went absolutely viral. And it was a long Torah class. It wasn't like a two minute YouTube short. It was like a Torah class on the Parsha and thousands of people from all over the world watched it. And then um, obviously what Tehillah realized is that she needs to be teaching more in these times. And so I have um, a video that I want to share with our fellowship of another one of Tehillah's teachings that is so profound and so deep and so exact and straight from her heart you know, things that come from the heart go into the heart. And so this is uh, the wonderful Tehillah Gimpel. Hi, everyone. Okay, well, first of all, I want to thank everyone who watched my video last week on the tour portion. The feedback I received was so warm and so overwhelming that it really gave me strength to keep on going and trying to share. So I have a dirty little secret. Since the beginning of the war, so many friends and members of our fellowship have been sending me beautiful psalms, referring me to different chapters of the psalm, saying, read this, it'll give you strength. And this psalm gives me strength, so maybe it'll be powerful for you. And you know, my kids are so good about this. My little kids, they don't go to bed with like little kid books anymore. They each fall asleep with a book of Tehillim, a book of psalms in their little hands. They don't ask for fairy tales anymore. They just want to say psalms together for the captives and for the soldiers. They're so good, and I want to be good too. Honestly, I do but I just haven't had it in me. I know it sounds horrible. It's like embarrassing as I'm even saying it, but that's the honest truth. I tried and I tried and I could not make it through the Psalms. I could not make it through even one. And, you know, I was working on the last video that I made about Noah and his fight with Hamas. And I was reading an article in that context by Hanan Parat. I'm sure many of you have heard of Hanan, but for those who haven't, Hanan is one of the greatest heroes and role models of our time, besides for being a tremendous Torah scholar and a member of the Knesset. He was one of the first and strongest leaders of resettling Judea and Samaria after the Six Day War, and he led the way to the establishment of Gush Etzion. And he passed away only a little more than 10 years ago in 2011. He was a tremendously righteous individual and had a huge um, impact on Jeremy and me. And he wrote many Torah articles. And last week I was reading his article about the portion of Noah. And then he finishes his article, signs his name. It's a really old article. And at the bottom, under the article, there's like a note, like a PS. I don't even know if he wrote it or how it got there. But there's this note. And it says like this. It says, look deeply at Psalm 140 as if it was written for us today in our fight against Hamas. That's what 
is written there. And it says, the strings of David's harp in this psalm shoot arrows at the Hamas. And I was like, stunned. There was no continuation, no explanation, no context. I felt like I'm getting like a message here that I need to read this psalm. And it's so weird because I was just thinking about how it's so hard, how weird it's so hard for me to say the Psalms. And it's like this note was buried here for many years and like unnoticed, I think. And I decided I was going to try to carefully look at this Psalm. And you know, sometimes we just read the Psalms without really understanding them. But Hanan is saying, this is a Psalm that speaks to our current fight with Hamas. Come back, pray this Psalm, but from a place of true kavana, true intention and understanding. So I want to look at this carefully. So it starts the first verse, for the conductor, a song of David. So this is a psalm written by David. Even Ezra says that David wrote this psalm while he was hiding from King Saul, from King Shaul. Now just to understand the reality that when we're living in, just to kind of share a picture into our life, when our younger kids went to bed on Shabbat dinner, after Shabbat dinner on Friday night, that's usually a time we talk with our older teens about, you know, the Torah portion, what did you do this week, just the normal stuff. But if you were in our house, you actually would have been honestly horrified. We were literally walking around our house looking for weak spots and having conversations that a person should never have with their children. Like if God forbid, a terrorist came in from this window, you go that way, I'll take the kids that way, this son should take a gun, this son should go hide, and I'm sure we were not the only ones talking about this, and God forbid it should never come to pass, and we have faith in Hashem, and we have faith in the soldiers protecting us that this should never happen, but after seeing the massacre two weeks ago, I don't think anyone really is able to not think or plan for that kind of worst case scenario because it just happened to so many people. And this is an actual conversation and we're debating suddenly, well, is it better if God forbid this happened to try to run into the safe room and lock ourselves in, but then be stuck inside and kind of vulnerable and concentrated together? Or should we run to the caves that are behind our house, beneath our house? And you know, our house, if you've been to the uh, Arugot Farms, you know that the Arugot Farms sits at the edge of the mountains of Zif where David actually hid in the caves that are here uh, when he was hiding from Shaul and he wrote the Psalms. And we're arguing back and forth this way or that way. And one of our sons says, okay, you know what, just in case, I'll go down tomorrow to the caves and I'll put some food and water in there so that we can make a run for it if we have to without needing to carry a bag. And just to understand like the meeting of the Bible and our actual modern lives, I said to myself, oh my God, are we actually making practical real life considerations about going to hide from murderous terrorists, God forbid, in the actual caves where David himself hid from murderous Shaul? Like your ears don't believe what they hear your mouth saying. And then I started to try to think what it felt like to be David at that time. On the one hand, he's been already anointed by Samuel, by Shmuel. He knows the end of the story. He knows Hashem's will for the Jewish people is to create a kingdom of David that will be a light to the world, to build the Beit HaMikdash, the temple. And yet his reality is that he's hiding like a criminal, like an animal in a cave from someone who wants to kill him. It's so much how we feel in Israel. Like on the one hand, we've returned to our land. So many people see Hashem's hand in our return and would want with all their hearts to build a beautiful garden of Eden here in Israel to be a you know centaurah from Zion and yet here we are in a reality it feels so far away it feels so painful and as I'm studying this psalm I discover that the Sforno says that this experience in David's life in this particular psalm 140 will be repeated on a larger scale before the coming of Mashiach. Rabbi Yosef Ibn Yahya actually goes even further and says that this specific psalm describes what's going to happen in the end of days and it is a divinely inspired description of what will happen Happen when evil meets its final defeat. And it says, Hashem save me from an evil man, from a man of Hamas. When I first read that, it sounded like a lot of other Psalms. Oh, you know, Hashem, they're bad guys and save me. Well, why is Hanan sending us to this Psalm? Well, first of all, it actually uses the word Hamas, but it doesn't only use it in this verse. Three times in this Psalm does the word Hamas appear. And it's the only Psalm with so many uses of the word Hamas. And that's the first thing you notice. It's like a giant neon sign with no, there's no other Psalm like this that mentions Hamas so directly. And then I looked at it even closer. 
when you look at the explanation of the Malbim, he says, read this psalm carefully. Every verse has a double description of evil. Each time it describes evil that's being faced in the psalm, it describes it in two ways that are not quite the same. And the verse just goes like one, two, one, the verses go one, two, one, two, like one description, a second kind of description, one and a second. And it struck me so powerfully because anyone who's following this war is first and foremost noticing that it's being fought on two fronts. First of all, there's the actual war with Hamas, like the genocidal terrorists that wanna kill and kidnap and rape and burn and behead. But there's also the battle beyond the physical battle that if you were paying attention, you see is being waged by a whole other type of people. People that would have told you just a few weeks ago that the biggest problem in the world is hurting people's feelings by, you know, not respecting their pronouns or calling them the right gender or some kind of microaggression or something that, you know, doesn't feel good. Those are the people that are marching in favor of the Hamas for actual violence. The same people who said, hashtag me too, believe women that claim that they've been sexually harassed are the same people who, when women say that they've been raped, as the Hamas records them with body cams to post live on the internet, those same people are like, mm, I haven't seen any real proof. So there's this line in the sand between people who see things with a moral compass versus both the evil doers, but also their sympathizers who dress it up in words that sound like, oh, human rights and humanitarianism. But they know that it's actually the side of evil. And right here, it appears in the words of the verse and of the words of our sages from centuries ago, guiding us for precisely this time, because the Psalm says, save me from an evil man and save me from a, from a man of Hamas, you shall guard me. The Malbim says, and what is an evil man? An evil man is a person who's just self-interested, who wants to do things for themselves. They don't care about others. And if it, other people get hurt, that's fine. Meaning they don't mind doing evil, but evil is not the end. Their own self-interest is their end. But there's something called Ish Hamas, the Malbim says. He says the Ish Hamas, listen to this, is the man of Hamas is not stirred by greed or glory, but enjoys perpetration of violence for its own sake. They enjoy causing pain and damage and derive greater pleasure from openly and brazenly committing violence. You know, the Nazis wanted to get rid of Jews. That was their, their end point. And the cleaner and faster they could do it, the better. And when they finished, they tried to cover up their tracks because they knew it was wrong. Never in history, the history of the world has there been a massacre so brutal as this where the perpetrators put on GoPro, GoPro cameras on their bodies so they could revel in displaying their evil. And this was written by the Malbim hundreds of years ago before the organization that would call itself Hamas was ever a twinkle in any Islamist eye. So as we read this psalm, we need to understand that David is talking about a time and that we will face these double evils. The first half of each verse is about the indirect enemies, the sympathizers, the subtle enemies that seem so sweet and nice. And the second half is about the Hamas, actual evil. And it goes on in verse three. It says, who plotted evil things in their heart. Every day they gathered to wage war. There's a type of evil that's in the heart. It's underlying anti-Semitism that we see come out somehow now. And it manages to unite LGBTQs who if they would go to Palestine, they would literally have their skin flayed. And environmentalists like Greta Thunberg and Islamist sympathizers managed to pull all these people together because in their heart they have this hatred of Jews. But they talk this nice game and they pretend to be big lovers of humanity until something happens that draws out their hearts. But then there's the actual Hamas. It calls them Yaguru Milchamot. Rashi says these are people who will make war in homes and places of settlement. How true is that? We're actually dealing with people who don't wage war on the battlefield, 
but actually go into people's homes and commit atrocities. They keep weapons in their own homes to weaponize their own children, their own hospitals and schools and kindergartens to use their children as human shields. It literally says what we are seeing before our eyes. And then verse 4 says, They wet their tongues like serpents. The venom of a spider is under their lips forever. In verse 4, the sages explain that there's a difference between a snake and a spider. A snake keeps its fangs inside its mouth. A venomous spider keeps its fangs outside its mouth. So I said there's going to be two types of venom. The type that's well hidden and dressed up. And those who like to proudly wear their venom, like the Hamas, on the outside. And then verse 5 says, Guard me, O Lord, from the hands of a wicked man, from a man of Hamas, it says in the Hebrew. You shall watch me, who plotted to cause my steps to slip. So now in verse 5, we ask Hashem to protect us both from the wicked and from the Hamas person. But on both of them, the verse reveals their internal motivation. It says in English, they want to make my feet slip. But that's not exactly how the sages understood the Hebrew here in the verse. The Sforno says that this is how about how Shaul chased David to the point that he had nowhere to stay in the land of Israel and he had to go to foreign exile. That's an interesting meaning here about the underlying motivation because here we know that the spiritual strength of the Jewish people is to live in the land. The underlying motivation is to take us away from our land. It's not about Palestinian rights or humanitarian motivation. What unites the evildoers here, evil doers here is the desire to remove us from Eretz Israel, from the land of Israel. And then verse 6 says, Haughty man, men have concealed a snare for me. With ropes they spread a net beneath my path and lay traps for me constantly. In verse 6, we learn of two different types of traps that we'll be facing by evil. First of all, it says, haughty men have concealed a snare. There are certain types of concealed traps. You know, they interviewed Yoav Gallant, the minister of defense yesterday, and they said, why are you agreeing to let in trucks of humanitarian aid to Gaza without our hostages receiving humanitarian care? Like, why not say, yes, we'll give you humanitarian aid if you let the Red Cross see our Jewish hostages, the Jewish hostages, if you release the babies and the children that you took. If babies get supplies too, your babies will get supplies. And his answer was stunning. He said, the American government insisted on it. They conditioned supplying us with weapons and defense systems that we need on us to agree to send in those trucks to Gaza. So this is a great example of a hidden trap. Thank you, America, for your kind aid. But when it comes with a hidden condition and trap that is not obvious, unless you look closely, that is one kind of evil that the, that the psalm is talking about. But then there's a second kind of trap, which is so much more clear. It says the Hamas type of evildoers, that style of evil sets traps that are clear in sight, mokshim. The trap is visible. So well, how does a trap that's visible work? The Midrash in Esther Rabbah says this is like a trap for a thirsty wolf, that the hunter lays the trap by the watering hole. The wolf sees it, but he says, if I go down, I'm going to be trapped if I go to the water, but if I don't, I'm going to die of thirst. And he's put in an impossible position. When I read this Midrash, it struck me so strong. You know, someone from one of the kibbutzim that was overtaken by terrorists on the day of the massacre, shared screenshots of the horrible WhatsApp messages going between the neighbors as they were being slaughtered. And people are writing, I'm hiding with my children in the safe room. And what did these monsters do while they're outside? They lit the houses on fire so the safe room would fill with smoke and then they waited outside. And people are writing, I'm holding my little boy. He's suffocating from smoke. But I hear Arabic outside the door in the window. If I go out, they're going to kill me. If I stay inside, I will will die of smoke inhalation. And the Midrash He's saying, this is the kind of trap that Hamas is going to send for you, where you're between a rock and a hard place, you have no choice. That is the trap that it is talking about. Those are the kind of evildoers we're going to be dealing with. And then verse 7 says, I said to the Lord, you are my God, hearken, O Lord, to the voice of my supplication. 
And then, God, O Lord, might of my salvation, you shall protect my head on the day of battle. Hashem Elohim, az sakota Rashi biyom neshek. So it's at this point that we say, Hashem, you are our God. Our only hope is that Hashem will protect our heads on the day of battle. And it's an amazing thing because it's not a secret that there's always been a lot of tension in Israel between the secular and religious and, you know, the more traditional and the more liberal. And, you know, those who say, let's be a nation like all other nations. We don't have to be so Jewish. And those saying we need to make this place a fulfillment of the prophecies of Hashem's vision for the Jewish people as a nation of priests and a light coming from Zion. And now, in this horrendous war, there are the most insane stories coming out. A professor that I studied with in university, who is about as far left progressive secular as they come, Yuval El-Bashan, wrote about a case where a family, a totally secular family in Kibbutz Be'eri, were hiding, locked in their safe room, when the, final, the soldiers finally killed the terrorists and came to save them. They were too scared to open the door because the terrorists had been speaking to them in Hebrew and trying to convince them that they were IDF soldiers to open the door to kill them. And so this completely secular soldier is coming to rescue this completely secular Jewish family hiding in their safe room and he says to them, how do I know you're not Hamas? And the secular soldier screams to him, Shema Israel, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. Hear, O Israel, Hashem is our God, Hashem is one. And the professor writes, when he heard that story for the first time, he understood the unbreakable link between being Israeli and being a Jew, between his military ID number and the numbers that were tattooed on our arms in Auschwitz. It's like David is teaching us that we're going to face this situation. When the Hamas is at our door, we're going to say, Hashem, hero Israel, Hashem, is our God, Hashem is one, and then he was able to open the door. And it's worth mentioning that in all of Jewish history, there's never been such a demand for kippahs, yarmulkes, tzitzit from soldiers, to the point that there was not even enough supply for the people all over the country, to the point that now people all over the country are volunteering to make tzitzit for the soldiers. They can't keep up with the demand. They're having to make wait lists for tzitzit to give preference to first-time tzitzit wearers who have never worn tzitzit. That's how great the demand is. They've never seen so many soldiers, soldiers asking to go out to battle with a kippah and tzitzit. And that's what David is saying, you shall protect my head on the day of battle. It's going to be on that day that we're going to remember that we're Jews and that Hashem is the only one we could put our faith in. And then verse 9 says, Lord, do not grant the desires of the wicked. Do not let his thoughts succeed, for they are constantly haughty. Ten says, the numbers of those who surround me, may the lies of their lips cover them. Here it seems that we're asking Hashem not to let our enemies' plans come to fruition, that they should be smothered with their own lies. And it's interesting, the word used here to describe the thoughts of our enemies. It says zmamot, which is the same root word used to describe false witnesses, edim zomamim, that do what false witnesses do. They claim they saw someone doing a terrible crime. Like say, like, oh, I saw Simon commit a murder. And they're doing that so that Simon would get the death penalty falsely. So they're actually the real killers, right? Like those false witnesses, meaning it's not just that the evil that we're going to face are going to lie, but they're going to attribute to someone, to us, the actual evil that characterizes them. Like Israel is so cautious to avoid civilian casualties, even when dealing with the most cruel people. And then our enemy claims like a perverse perverse accusation that Israel bombed a hospital. When we, not, the hospital was not only not bombed, but it turns out that the bomb that blew up next to it was actually shot by the Arabs themselves. And that's just like you know, a case where their lies are actually turning around to smother them. And then 11 says, let fiery coals descend upon them. He will cast them into fire, into war, so that they will not rise. Now, this is amazing. I like this verse because it says that they're going to be destroyed inside. The Hebrew word here is their own mahamurot. In the translation, it says they'll be destroyed. Destroyed in war, but Mahamurot is not war. I don't know why it's translated like that. All of the sages explain that this word is something about 
a cave underground, like some sort of underground dwelling. And that's so strange because what we're dealing with right now is the Hamas that have actually been known to dig underground tunnels. The vision here is that those tunnels, what we're praying for is for those tunnels to turn into the terrorists' own graves. And then 12 says, a slander will not be established on earth, a man of violence. Uh, the evil of him will be thrust upon the other. It says, Ish lashon bal yikon ba'aretz, ish hamas ra, uh, now, this is actually my favorite verse in the entire psalm because what it's telling us here is about the ultimate justice. There is this first kind of bad. The English says it's a slanderer that will not be established, but the Hebrew does not say slanderer. It says, Ish lashon. Ish lashon balikon. The man of words will not be established. Those are clearly the first type of evildoers, the ones who speak loftily about human rights and tolerance, but actually have evil in their hearts. The Ish Hamas, is the man of violence, is the man of Hamas. In this verse, it says that the evil will trap him. Who is him? The simple meaning of the verse is that the man of Hamas will actually trap and destroy that man of words, that subtle evildoer that we saw in the earlier verses, the sympathizers of evils. You know, in the... In the end, evil cannibalizes itself. I saw this video from yesterday from England. 100,000 people came out to march in England in support of the Hamas. And then some guy came out to join them with a rainbow LGBTQ flag and immediately got violently assaulted. These people simply do not understand that they are next. If Hamas, God forbid, would ever have their way with us, they would come after those same liberal progressives that are supporting them first. It's so obvious. And this verse is saying the evildoers will actually fight against one another and destroy one another. And then 13 says, I know the Lord will perform the judgment of a poor man and the cause of the needy. Now, the resolution comes in this verse where we're actually strengthened because we know that in the end, Hashem will do justice. That is the antidote to our despair and our grief. It's to strengthen ourselves in that knowledge. And this is really interesting because if you look at the Hebrew, it's fascinating. It's one of the places where we have a tradition to pronounce the word differently than it is written in the actual text. And in the actual test, text, it says, you know that Hashem will do justice. But in the pronunciation, we say, I know that Hashem will do justice. It's like David is telling us, maybe sometimes I'll falter, but you'll know. You'll know the truth and you'll raise me up. And sometimes maybe you'll forget, but I'll raise you up. There's like a play on words here where we keep each other strong. You know, a few days ago, I had this terrible breaking point and I just felt like I couldn't go on. I said to Jeremy, Hashem, forgive me. But the truth is, this is what I said to Jeremy. I, I said, if all of this turns out to be for nothing and all of this horror ends with no real change in the equation without really destroying evil, I'm out. I can't do this anymore. I don't want to be on this ride anymore. It's too perverse. It's too horrendous. I'm going to move to Montana and I'm going to make a rant. I want off of this Israel train. And Jeremy looked at me. He took me and he said, no. He goes, if we're going to go down, we're going to go out down on this ship. This is our ship. Where Israel goes down, we go down. And if that is what's going to happen, that is where we will go. Because we are not getting on, we're not on this ride because of a promise that it'll turn out okay. We're on the side of good because we're on the side of good for the sake of good. And we can't live any other way. You will not be able to live any other way. And we have to just have faith that what Hashem wants from us is to be good. And He will do what He knows is right. And it was this moment where, you know, I lost my strength and Jeremy lifted me up. And we have sometimes the opposite where I'm able to lift him up. And that's what David is hinting to us, I think, here, that sometimes we're just going to need to lift each other. And then 14 concludes, the righteous will thank your name and the upright will sit before you. 
Of course, the righteous will thank you, Hashem, but the righteous are not going to be alone. Being righteous is a tall order. Very few of us are perfectly righteous. But the fight is going to be the line in the sand between two sides of the world. You don't have to be a Jew to know where to stand anymore. You don't have to be particularly righteous to know where to stand anymore. It's enough to be upright. The Hebrew says yashar, someone with a straightforward common sense and morality who knows, will know where to stand. And please, with the help of Hashem, we can you know, now pray for a speedy defeat of evil and for Hashem's mercy on the captives and the soldiers and for the wounded and for all of Israel. Thank you, Tehila. Thank you. That was just such an unbelievable analysis of a note that she found given by Hanan Porat that says at the end of days in our battle against Hamas, this will have the answers. This will have the guidance. And then to see the fact that the psalm that was written for the end of days has Hamas all over it. You just can't help but see the spice carts that just are all written throughout the Torah. Okay. I want to share um, a dream that I had with all of you. And I was, you know, right before last Passover, Tehillah and I were invited to teach in two Jewish communities in South Africa in Johannesburg and in Cape Town. Two Shabbats right before Passover. And then in the middle of the week, we had three days where we weren't teaching in the schools and we weren't teaching in people's homes and we weren't teaching in the synagogues. Um, and we went up to Kruger Park with all of our family and we went on a safari. And I had a dream that we were back on that safari and we were just out in the bush, just alone, looking at giraffes and elephants and the music was playing and just like the wonder and beauty of this world. And then I saw like the orcs of Hamas, like kill, 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 death. And I'm like, oh God, yes. Hashem made such a beautiful world. Why are there these horrible, evil, demonic people that are just not letting us enjoy Hashem's creation? He created the Garden of Eden on this earth and man has corrupted it. And then from there, it really struck me. Carl Jung says something really beautiful. He says, people don't have ideas. Ideas have people. It's like sometimes they're like, well, I have this interesting idea. It's like, no, no, no. They're ideas, and then ideas have people, and ideas can spread, and the ideas are actually the true reality, and the bodies, we're just the hosts of the ideas. And that's, I think, a really deep idea. And that's what the Messianic era is. The Messianic era is in the water, in the knowledge of God, the idea of God, the, the knowledge of God will cover the world like water covers the sea. It's like the right idea, the right consciousness, the right spirit will come to the world. So Carl Jung says, people don't have ideas, ideas have people. Now there are some ideas that are so vile, that are so disgusting, that are so evil, they need to be eradicated from the earth because evil exists only within man. Go to the African safari, giraffes don't have evil. Lions that are eating gazelles, that's not evil, that's nature. There's nothing evil. Evil exists within man. And the root of evil are in those ideas. And so I want you to look at this video right now of the children of Gaza. Check this out. This is really important. <laughs> في ناس بحبوا فلسطين بدهم يحاربوا وبضحوا بدمهم عشان عشان فلسطين أنا بدي أهزمهم بالحرب بدي 
أهزمهم بعلمونا أن الأقصى إلنا وإلنا يعني يعني إلنا فلسطين والأراضي كلها إلنا لأنه لأنهم بسبب كذبهم وانتهاكاتهم إنهم يقولون أن الهيكل تحت المسجد الأقصى ولا مرة إنه يكون الهيكل تحت المسجد الأقصى أنا أقرأ اليهود بعلمونا أن الصهيونية هم أعدائنا وهم أهم إشي لازم يسووا فيهم عملية يعني انهم بيعلمونا بالمدرسه انهم ارهابيين و بيحكوا لنا عن اليهود انهم هدول مش مناح وهدول بقتلوا قاعدين بشبابنا بيحكوا لنا بيحكوا لنا هدول غدارين وبيحكوا لنا انه هدول بغدرونا هدول مش مناح اذا بد... بطعن بدعس عليهم اعمل عمليات كيف يعني؟ الدعس عمليات الدعس عمليات الطعن والاشتباك المصالح في المخيمات ايش اكيد هدول العمليات ترفع الراس ولفلسطين العمليات هاي تاعت الدعس والسكاكين هاي ايش بيرفع الراس لفلسطين اذا بدك بطلع بستشهد عادي انا ان شاء الله اساعد الشباب وان شاء الله اصير مقاوم بالمستقبل مع الدوله and so that's what we're dealing with now where they are taking their ideas and they're poisoning the minds of children, of the women. It's an entire society. Israel left the Gaza Strip in 2005. The Hamas immediately took over. And since then, they have corrupted the minds of everyone in Gaza. People are saying the war is against Hamas, but the war is not against the people of Gaza. The entire society there is rotten to its core now. The ideas have spread and they are hell-bent on killing everyone that's not a part of their Islamic state, a part of ISIS, a part of the Hamas, that's a part of their regime. Uh, you know, years ago, Ari and I went into Gaza in one of the big wars called Oferi, cast-led, and we specifically endangered ourselves in order to not hurt the innocent civilians, the 10-year-old boys that were there at that time. Those 10-year-old boys that we spared then are the young men that perpetrated the massacre that happened on October 7th. That is that society. And so what do we do when we encounter such horrendous evil? What do we do? The only place to look is to look toward the Torah, because what, we're going to look to the Geneva Conventions and to Russia for our moral clarity, to China? No, thank you. I think it's time that we look to the Torah. And the Torah calls this evil Amalek. When you just see unbridled evil, Hamas, like we just learned, it's un—it's just—it's undeniable. It is evil. To not believe in good and evil in the face of evil, to not have emunah then, is actually a vile act. Because if you just want to say, yeah, okay, there's no good, there's no evil, there's no God, it's a narratives. Look, they butchered those people and raped those people and burned those people. It's like, ugh. On the inside, we know there's a truth. We know there's good. And we know that that's evil. It's easier actually to come to know God through evil than it is through good. Because we see evil and we can see that it's wrong. And then what do we do when we see an entire society that is evil? So here is what the prophet commanded King Saul to do. And this is in the book of Samuel in the 15th chapter. Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has. Do not spare him, but put to death both man 
and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey, carpet bomb, delete, delete the entire society. That's what you have to do because a society that is so corrupt, that is so evil, that will continue to espouse evil. The only way to minimize innocent lives from dying is to delete them from the earth, delete the society, put them in Scotland and those that decide to stay, eradicate them. That's the only solution. That's the moral thing to do because when you're merciful to the evil, it's just a matter of time until the evil will be evil to the merciful. That's what the Talmud says. Those who are merciful to evil are being evil to the merciful. When we just allow evil to exist, it's just a matter of time. For two years, the Hamas, they were just quiet. And we kept on giving them money, giving them electricity, more aid, more aid. Imagine the society that has done nothing for the world. They've contributed zero to the world, zero export, no innovation, no blessing, nothing. More aid, more money, more tax money, more money from the nations. And what did they do with billions of dollars? They built terror tunnels. They bought missiles and, and knives and grenades, and they just hoarded it and waited. And when we were like, la di da di da we're making peace with the Hamas, they're training to kill, getting their kids killed. Grinning to kill, grinning to kill, ready to kill, ready to kill. Mordechai Kedar says that Iran is furious with the Hamas now. They spoiled their plan. The original plan was that this attack was supposed to happen three days later while the kids were in school. And they were going to go into the schools and massacre all the Jewish children. And they were supposed to take over larger cities. But the Hamas, when they heard the, the music festival, their blood was flowing and they couldn't control themselves. They wanted to go out and massacre and they jumped the gun three days too early and they weren't able to time their attack with Iran and Hezbollah. And they actually foiled their own plan. They were so evil and bloodlusting thirsty that they couldn't hold themselves back when they heard the music festival of the Jews celebrating their peace music festival in the South. So a society that is so evil there is only one thing to do, and it is to erase them from the face of the earth. We're at war with jihad, whether we're fighting them or not. And when they're done with us, they're coming for you, and they're coming for the rest of the world. And so God has strategically placed Israel in the darkest place in the entire world, where the nest of vipers, the source of it all, is right by us. And what are we called to do? We're called to be a light unto the nations to vanquish the darkness by bringing the light. There is no other way. I mean, you know, America just gave $100 million in aid to Gaza. Just so you know, the Marshall Plan and the Berlin Airlift after Germany, that only happened after there was an unconditional surrender of the Nazis in Germany. And then there was 45 years of military occupation until the U.S. decided that the Germans could finally be trusted. None of that has happened with Gaza. We're pumping them with more and more resources and more and more money and more and more aid. Imagine in the middle of World War II giving the German Nazis more money to buy more weapons and to buy more supplies. It's like insanity. It's like America right now is funding both sides of the war. It's like the Democratic Party has an interest for this conflict to just keep on going. And so Israel now has to do something. It has to do what's right. If you think about it, the Jews consist of 0.2% of the world population, 0.2 of 
You understand that? It's like smaller than a half of 1%. The Muslim population of the world, 20 to 25% of the world today identify as Muslims. We have no chance at winning world opinion because there are just too many other people out there. And the 0.2% of 1% of world population doesn't stand a chance on Facebook. So then what needs to happen? Ben-Gurion prophetically said it. He said, it doesn't matter what the nations say. It matters what the Jews do. And so now it is time to go all the way back to our source. So many years, I used to read those verses in the Bible and be like, really, we had to kill all of them? Like the women and the children and the people, like all of them? Like, really? That doesn't, maybe that's a primitive. Maybe that was a, for a time of old, but not for today. And now why was that the command? It's a command because it's not easy to do. It's a command because our instincts are, we don't want to do that. And it could be that the Tehillim is right. And maybe the book of Yechezkel is right. And that God will fight our wars for us and bring an earthquake and make those tunnels be their burial spots. Maybe God will save us from ourselves. But until then, we have to do what's right and what's true and what's moral and what's good. And what is good is to vanquish the evil from the face of the earth. Every one of those terrorists had a mother that had to raise them to become that terrorist. There are no innocents in Gaza right now. The entire society is a society of orcs that are evil, that celebrate our destruction. And so we need to realize that we are hated. We are hated and they're not going to stop. And so God should give us the strength because this is going to be not a um, quick fix. This seems like this is going to be a long road ahead. And I think that it's not going to stay within the borders of Israel. And so all the good people of the world now, as this line is being drawn in the sand, a book is being written. In the book of Malachi, it says that God is recording everything right now. Who is standing with the truth? Who is standing with the good? And who is standing with the evil? And in my lifetime, I don't think it's ever been as clear as the light against the dark, the good against the evil. And so may we see the Geulah Shlema bim herabi amenu. May we see Eretz Yisrael cleaned from the evil. May it all just disappear like smoke going up to heaven. May we see a new light come from Zion, a new beginning. May this flood somehow, like the waters of Noah, purify the world and bring an end to this dark reign of evil, and may only the right ideas, only goodness, only chesed, only love conquer all. All right, my friends, I just want to give you one blessing as we are here today, as we're here together. And so maybe from this brokenness with a broken heart, you can go from a deeper place. And so all of you that are part of our fellowship, all of you that are part of our large family around the world, you give us so much strength and so much blessing. And so may you be blessed in return. To join the Land of Israel Fellowship, to attend our live interactive Zoom sessions, to participate in the Fellowship Connection Q&A events, or even just to binge on past sessions, click on the link below or go to thelandofisrael.com backslash fellowship and join our family of hundreds of people from around the world broadcasting light 
from the land of Israel, live from the Judean frontier.